0: You know, if I was doing another startup today, attribution would be high up on the list.
1: Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 34, and today's guest is Brian Long, founder and CEO of Attentive. Before we get started, a quick thank you, as always, to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready? Break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brian Long, CEO and co-founder of Attentive. Attentive is a personalized mobile messaging platform that helps innovative e-commerce and retail brands connect with consumers. Using real-time behavioral data, Attentive automatically sends engaging text messages to each subscriber, whether it's a card abandonment reminder, a notice about an exclusive sale, or product recommendations, it's easy for subscribers to opt in. Brian, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Mark. Thanks a lot for having
1: me. Uh, this is going to be uh, really interesting for me. I'm uh, very well uh, adept at understanding what you guys are doing at, at Attentive, at least at the moment. Uh, perhaps uh, we'll hear where you, you're looking to take the business. But before we get started, i um, would love to you know have our listeners give a little bit of kind of a fun thing, something remarkable or fascinating, uh, perhaps about your early career
0: or just your life in general. I think I... I- eat a truly disturbing amount of uh, soft pretzels. So um, <laughs> I'm from a Philadelphia originally, I am understand the average Philadelphian eats, I think it's something like five times more than the average American. Uh, but I think I probably eat 10 to 20 times. I am like, I, I eat pretzels like every day, whether they're hard or soft or whatever. I don't know why, but I have an obsession with pretzels. I don't know if that's it's more of just weird, but, uh, but that falls in
1: some category. I grew up in Brooklyn. The soft pretzel, salted pretzel with mustard, was kind of the way to go. Is that a thing in Philly
0: or no? You know, there's a lot of people that like mustard in Philly. I'm not one of them. I loathe mustard, actually, uh, but I like pretzels very, very much. All
1: right. So you you answered the the question. You know, you grew up in Philly. Was there anything in your upbringing that you could point to uh, that might have identified that you know being an entrepreneur was you know kind of how your career would develop?
0: Not really. Both my parents were doctors and were not in the business world at all and never were, you know, and it's kind of a, a weird job being a doctor because you can do a job for 35, 40 years working at the same place and, and do your thing. And it's a great job uh, and and have a great impact. Um, but it's not it's not like working in the business world, jumping all around. So I really had didn't really have any uh, upbringing in that light and in, in getting into the business world. I just really liked business and doing business and working with people and selling things and building things and, and doing that from a very early age, from fifth or sixth grade running businesses since then. And, um, and have just always really liked it.
1: And you went to uh, university of Pennsylvania. So when you, when you went there, what was the thinking behind uh, what you were going to study and how that might, you know, dovetail into a career?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I actually spent, too much time at school, actually doing side businesses and not doing enough uh, classwork. Um, I, I started something at school that was called Pen Storyboard. That was sort of like a mashup of today would be like Twitter and and Facebook, I guess. Like you'd make an account and give a status, and it's where you were. And before smartphones, so when I was in, in college, smartphones didn't exist. It was it was still the old uh, brick Nokia phones. The idea was that this was all still happening on desktop. So we built everything for desktop. And, uh, and, you know, obviously that, that did okay. We got, we actually got a lot more registered users than we expected, but it didn't take off really until mobile. So, uh, so we kind of missed, missed the line on that one, but I was constantly working on side projects and side businesses. I ran a graphic design business. I ran another sort of like development type business. I had clubs, I did this, I did that. So I probably did too many side things and not enough time just focused on classwork. But, you know, when I did get into a uh, classwork related stuff, uh, I certainly had a bend towards things in, in the, the, the business world.
1: And, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, sales and, and selling things. A few of your early jobs, uh, CNET, CBS Interactive, were sales focused roles, right?
0: Yeah. You know, when, uh, when I was leaving school and I know I wanted to, uh, to get into tech entrepreneurship, I, I talked to a couple of different people. Um and and I kind of you know my decision I, I i decision point was I could either go work for a bigger tech company or I could go work for a, a consulting type firm um, that hopefully would give me stuff in like the tech world or whatever. but the, you know consulting was very in that was that was the classy thing to do when you when you graduated school. you know i I got some great advice from a family friend of mine, uh, a guy named Mark McCallum, who At the time i think it was the cmo brown foreman which is like a big liquor company but he said you know no question take the sales job it's the best we learn business and like get into a business and go from there um so i ended up taking the sales job at an early internet company cnet.com and and learned a tremendous amount i will say at the same time though i accepted the job at cnet and i was very happy and i met with uh, a venture capitalist in the philadelphia area uh, Josh Koppelman, he runs this firm called First Round Capital. He said, "Oh, you know, you should go work at this company that we just invested in called LinkedIn. We think it's going to be really big. Uh, you know, you could probably get an internship there." And I was like, "Linked, whatever. Like, no, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to uh, to CNET.com." And I went and worked CNET, and this is 2006 or something. And and uh, I remember, but I made a LinkedIn account very early, so I had like a very early LinkedIn account, but. You know, to say that I've made the right decisions could also be wrong. I mean, I met Mark Zuckerberg and I guess it was like late 07, early 08 or something. A person from CNET I worked with went to go be one of the first 100 people at Facebook and work in sales there. And I met him and and thought about pitching myself to go do sales there. But again, our you know, our boss at the time at CNET said, oh, no, it's going to be like Yahoo Messenger. It's going to all fall apart. It's going to be terrible to sell. Results are going to be terrible, like, you know, terrible sales product. Don't go there. So uh, I certainly have made a lot of mistakes as well.
1: And it's interesting because you, you mentioned what you were doing in college, the Penn Storyboard, which, you know, kind of sounded like, or you said, you know, a mashup of Twitter and Facebook. I, I might have thought that having met Zuckerberg and, and seeing what they were doing, that you might have had interest.
0: In, in kind of like 08, 09 or whatever it was, it was a lot harder to tell what the top was for a company. And like what had reached, you know, gotten to crazy levels and it's over. The dial on that has just shifted so much. But I think back then you kind of felt like you were late to the party, right? Like, oh, you know, Facebook, they already kind of had their moment in the sun. Now it's going to be the next thing. And you, you didn't want to be like late to the party. And I think now you look back and obviously the party hadn't even started, but it's very hard to time that market.
1: You know, mobile has played such a significant role in your career. So, you know, after you had some of those uh, sales job jobs at CNET and, and CBS Interactive, you went to Crossboard. I, I don't know that business. What, what was that about?
0: Yeah. So the time I went there was actually called something else. It's called Pontiflex. And then it was acquired by this other company. In 2009, we kind of like felt the repercussions of the uh, financial hit to, uh, to the world. And I also decided I was going to go to business school. And I told my job that subsequently, a few weeks later, I ended up getting fired from that job, I needed to find another job, because I, uh, I didn't really have any money, I needed to find something else new. I thought it would be a good idea to go work somewhere in um, still you know, working in the technology, online world, but something that was more performance-oriented, because I thought, you know, in a recession, things that are performance-oriented are still going to do pretty well. What this company did. Was it did lead generation, so it was like very performance focused. and 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 it actually did do quite well in the recession because a lot of companies did move towards uh, you know more performance marketing oriented type of market.
1: So you go there and was also in a selling capacity.
0: So I initially joined there people on the sales team, um and then over time, I I was leaving to go to business school. As I mentioned, I ended up pushing back business school a year, but I still wanted to go. So I I still left to go to business school. And around the same time that I told them I went to business school, I said, oh, by the way, I've got this idea for this mobile product where we should do the Legion that we do, but do it on mobile applications. And I think we can kind of do it this way and whatnot. And they said, "Okay, well, you know what? You go to business school. But we'll let you do this on the side and we'll give you a budget to do it, of which, you know, it's funny in retrospect, the initial budget was $25,000 and we hired a third-party firm. We paid them 25 grand to build the first version of the mobile app product and got it live with like 25 grand. And then we had, you know, like we had like five grand a month or something to upkeep it. Pretty bare bones uh, budget in order to get it spun up and get it operating. Nowadays, companies probably spend 10 times that much for like a base mobile app thing. And this was an early company that was doing the work for us. Uh, They signed on and they did it. So I I went to business school full time, was spinning up this business. It ended up doing really well. It scaled up a lot. Uh, I finished my first year of school. And uh, the second year was all courses around entrepreneurship and scaling a business and what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And at the same time, this company offered me a great opportunity to come back and, and run the mobile team, but do it full time. And I said, well, do I want to pay a school or do I want to get paid to do more or less the same thing? And it felt like it made sense to drop out of uh, business school and, and go do, go do uh, entrepreneurship full time.
1: So you're a business school dropout. Is that what, that's what you're telling us?
0: That is what I'm telling you. Is uh, I I, drop, <laughs> I dropped that after my first year. Got a lot of value out of the first year, but dropped out.
1: Got it. And then in tw- uh, 2012, you started uh, Tap Commerce. Tell us about you know where that uh, the idea came from and and what. In fact, I know that it was acquired by uh, Twitter. But what was the, uh, the functionality that you were offering?
0: Yeah, you know, me and uh, and and two friends of mine were um, making apps on the side on a number of different trends and and making a little money doing them. Basically, we wanted to start initially with the idea of just people buying things uh, on mobile through mobile applications. And we built up this app to do that. And it actually did pretty well. But we found that a lot of people weren't coming back to the app after they downloaded it. Retention was really bad. So we wanted to build a way to bring people back to the application. So we ended up building out this uh, mobile app ad uh, retargeting platform where if you looked at something in one of our apps and then you went to another app, we could show advertisements to bring you directly back into the app. It turned out we weren't the only people having this problem. A lot of other businesses were having this problem. So we went to those businesses and pitched them on this concept of bringing people back to the mobile application. Uh, and very quickly that that turned into a pretty big business doing it where, you know, we worked with a lot of hundreds of brands, brands like Spotify and eBay and things like that. We would look at, okay, you know, you looked at this watch on eBay, and then you did, you went and opened up the Pandora app. You know, let's let's let you know that that watch, the, the auction ends in two hours, and that would show up in real time in the advertising banner. So it's pretty cool. Was
1: this the first time that you needed to fundraise, or had you fundraised before?
0: Uh, at the later stages of, of the company I was at before, where I was running the, the mobile business, I had helped raise some money there. I had sort of helped do the circuit of uh, raising capital for their later capital raises. So I had learned a bit about the fundraising process, but I had not really done it fully myself. So that was the first time that I raised—I had raised money fully. But our first check was uh, was was from the first offer I got was from someone that was an investor in that in that prior company. So they knew me from those board meetings and from the work I did there.
1: Uh, I've done a bunch of interviews with uh, early stage companies. Uh, and we have a bunch of listeners who are entrepreneurs and thinking about fundraising. Is there one or two things that you could offer up? Most of uh, the folks that I talk to say that fundraising is the one area that they didn't know was going to be nearly as difficult as it's turned out to be. Any words of wisdom for them?
0: You know, I think a, you kind of got to force yourself to love it. Um, I, I hear a lot of people sometimes say, oh, I hate fundraising. Oh, I hate fundraising, whatever. I think if you take that mindset, then it's going to be bad and you're going to drag yourself through it. I think you kind of got to like mentally just get into a mode of liking it. And I've I've gotten to that mode. And I think as I've gotten to like it more and more, I've done better in it. And I think you have to appreciate it for what it is. I think sometimes people think, well, it's time not spent on the business. I think it's the critic. It's the fuel for the business. You know, it's like this is it. Like this is what allows enables you to do all the other things. So I think it's so critical. It's a numbers game. The deck is stacked if you've ever had a success before. If you're a second time entrepreneur, it's a totally different game. First time entrepreneur, it's a numbers game. For the business you just mentioned with with uh, Taft Commerce, we did 52 meetings to get to the end four firms that were. 200 k checks each because no one wanted to do more than 200k you know so it took a lot to just get to the 200k level for like four firms and that was like many months of like many many meetings then for series a it was similar you know we had meetings where the existing investors they almost like didn't want to put in more or if they did it would be very minimal there wasn't a lot of excitement to do more so I, I think that it was very hard to to get done the better piece of advice is to say either if you think you've got a couple that are going to do it or that you feel like is circled and you're not going to take additional meetings, always take the additional meetings, always take the next two or three meetings. I thought we had it kind of wrapped up on who we were going to work with for the second round of funding in my last company. And then I just happened to get this invite to go meet with Bain Capital and go to Boston. I I thought it was like a done deal. So in a lot of cases, you would have just been like, eh, I'm not going to take that meeting. But I said, you know what? I'll just go do it. Why the hell not? You know, Big Capital is a great name, great partner. Why not? Went up, did the meeting. They ended up offering a great deal. We ended up doing that round with them. Subsequently, they also led the first round in my new company, right? Which has been great. And by the way, after we had already agreed to do the first round in my current company, I almost canceled all of the meetings. But I ended up still doing a meeting with Sequoia Capital, even though I was already going to move forward with Bing Capital, just to kind of go out and meet them and build it. And then we ended up working with Sequoia Capital for our Series B. A lot of folks, they, they just kind of stop, say, oh, I, I figured that out. Let's move on. you gotta, you really got to run through the finish line with funding because you never really know who's going to show up and who's not. When it, when it really comes um, to the end game, you don't know who's going to turn out being the best partner. And you might be really surprised with where you end up.
1: That's great advice. And, you know, frankly, I think it's very similar in just in the in the whole game of networking. You know, you never know when something is going to lead uh, to something else. You know, if you're looking for a job or if you're consulting, um, I'm a big believer in in maintaining those relationships over time. Uh, So that was great. Do you have a direct to consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do. Strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. Attentive. Uh, I talked at the top of the show a little bit about it, but let's hear from you. What is attentive? How are you helping brands? And and then I've got a, a bunch of other questions. I'd love for to hear your answers.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that consumers want to communicate with businesses via real-time, mobile, personalized communication. You know, preferably over text, uh, and preferably in the easiest form possible, which we think is the text messaging app. So we we think in three to five years, most businesses will have to have some way to communicate with their consumers uh, via text messaging, and we think we have an opportunity to be someone who powers a lot of that communication. If we do it right, I think it can do, it can really be the touch point to the consumer on, on just delivering a magical experience from the marketing to, you know, everything from like an order confirmation to recommendations to concierge services, to payments to, you know, customer service, everything just delivered seamlessly in real time personalized to you.
1: That's great. And an order of magnitude at this point, how many clients, how many employees do you have? Tell us about that.
0: Yeah. So today we have over 2,750 customers. Uh, we have um, about 700 employees uh, that are all basically in the U.S. Uh, and growing fast. I think we'll, we'll be over 1,000 by the end of this year, I, I would bet.
1: And you've done um, how many different raises? You know, you, you talked about your other company's raises, but here you've done uh, a few, correct?
0: Um, to date, we've raised four different rounds of funding, totaling uh, just shy of $400 million.
1: That's great. Uh, congratulations! But so you know, you talk about you know all the money that you raise. W- when when you're a business of of your magnitude and you've raised all these dollars, where do those dollars go? I mean, obviously some in headcount. Um, w- where are you thinking about taking the business and and building out other capabilities? Headcount is far and
0: away the majority of spending, and I think what people need to understand is building technology products is hard, especially if you're doing it at big scale. It takes a while to do it. You can go out and say, OK, I'm going to hire all these engineers. And I'm going to build something. But it, it'll take some while to to be able to have that fruit really blossom. You know, you can make a bet and it take a year or two to really pay off you know and also these days you know those resources are are really tight on on engineering and product so you know the, the vast majority of our spending is going into our our engineering product and design teams
1: and so as a mobile messaging business do you envision that that's what you'll you'll stick to your your knitting if you will in in mobile messaging and then build out as many capabilities as possible for a brand or do you see that there's other methods of communication from re- from brands to to consumers that you might tackle.
0: I think our our most important focus is being the best at mobile messaging uh, and going really deep there. You know, it was funny. We did a a, a sales kickoff at the start of twenty twenty by chance. Richard Branson was having lunch at the restaurant at the hotel where we were having it. And our head of sales went up and said, hey, can you come speak to our, our sales kickoff? Just, just uh, we'll donate some charity if you come by. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll be by in a little bit. You know, we didn't think he'd actually come by. 10 minutes later or something, he comes down, he comes out and uh, comes to speak to our team. I, I really liked what he said at the time, which was, uh, if you build uh, the best product, and if you really strive to make the best thing, there will always be a market for the best. The value product, maybe, but the best product will always have a market. And I do think that's really what we strive for: is to build the best product.
1: You know, w- when I talk to to marketers um, on the show or just in my colleagues and industry friends, you know, the the whole concept of attribution, you know, comes up all the time. Um, as you think through your product and helping brands, how do you help them think? through the attribution of you know the product that you're providing to them and and the way the customers are engaging with mobile uh, messaging.
0: You know if I was doing another startup today attribution would be high up on the list. You know there's always going to be the issue of bias, right? I mean, we can't provide the product that does the marketing as well as providing the attribution. Um, we, we we do obviously, but people are always going to take it with a grain of salt. I, I think there's a tremendous opportunity, and there's some up and coming companies that are focused on on these sort of analytics insights, things like that. But I, I do think that's a massive opportunity today.
1: So you're the the CEO of the business.
0: How do you describe your job? It changes every six months. I think the JD really changes every six months, uh, maybe maybe more frequently than that. So uh, the job is trying to figure out what the JD is uh, in, in a given quarter or half of the year.
1: And so g- give me some perspective. So you're in a, a six-month window now. H- how do you view what your job is in this six-month period?
0: You, you're constantly figuring out what what is the most important thing to the company right now? What's the right way to solve or push that opportunity or challenge? How deeply involved do you personally want to get, or do you want to put p- other people on it to get involved?
1: Maybe it's not just specific to uh, Attentive, but who do you lean on for advice and, and guidance? You know, your, your business is growing. You have new challenges every day. So who, who
0: do you lean on? You know, I think what's a little different about us is the company's been around for about four and a half years. Of my direct reports, I think about half or a little more than half have worked together for uh, almost nine years now you know, eight or nine years. So we've actually worked together with the last three companies. So we've got a a great team. And then we've also been lucky to bring on a a bunch of new folks, too, um, who have picked up that that culture and, and been ingratiated in it. And I think that's that's pretty unique to us.
1: And you mentioned the word culture, which is a good segue to another question that I wanted to ask about culture. Do you find that you've attempted to create a culture or is it you know, more of the function of you know, you've had these you know, key people working with you, and they have their personality type, and they have helped you to create this culture?
0: I think that the culture comes from management all down. And I think that you know, basically, the department head sets the culture for their department. I do think different departments can have pretty different cultures. Um, and I think the department head is really the one who sets it.
1: And how would you describe the culture at Attentive?
0: I think that we have uh, eight different values, but I think that the two that we value the most is number one, integrity first and number two, default to action. Those are the two that that resonate with me the most. and And I think that's probably the one that we we see those two just kind of throughout every division.
1: as you've watched the last year here with the pandemic at all, and you know we've seen you know so much change in in digital marketing and online commerce, how is that? changed perhaps your goals internally in the business or accelerated things that you had
0: planned to do yeah i mean so we we service predominantly e-com retail businesses so we've certainly seen change from businesses wanting to go more online um and then of course you know just the whole remote thing i think has made us question a lot of how to manage how to make all voices heard one of the things i really like about zoom actually is an opportunity for everyone to kind of be at the same level and, and heard. And I really like that. Maybe because when I grew up, I was, I was always the absolute shortest person in a class, boys and girls. I was always the shortest. So, so I always like the idea of everyone being on a level playing field. And I think Zoom actually makes a great level playing field for everyone to be there. Rather than sometimes in person where you know, there's someone who just takes over meetings in person, I think they have a harder time doing that on Zoom.
1: Yeah, well, because you, if you're controlling the meeting, you can put them on mute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can mute them. That's right.
1: Talk a little bit about goals, right? And, and perhaps maybe break it down into to two pieces, personal goals uh, for yourself, but then you know, how you set goals you know, within the company.
0: Um, personally, I set goals annually. And uh, write an email to myself and my wife, and then uh, check in on them after six months. So I tend to do longer-term goals for personal. For company, we do quarterly goal setting, quarterly OKRs.
1: Uh, once the goals are set, measure uh, the KPIs that you're creating. Come back and review the KPIs. And wh- what do you do if with team members or divisions or departments that are not achieving the goals? How how do you have those tough conversations?
0: So we we try to check in every month or or at least halfway through the quarter. Though operationally, I don't think we're doing it as frequently as we should. One overall management philosophy that we pushed more in the last year, and I really want to get right this year, is moving away from leadership that's focused on accountability and and just constant like pushing people, which I think has has been kind of the way sometimes leadership defaults to. And instead operating towards leadership as a coach, you know, what, what that means is when meeting with someone, you want to understand their top problems, the top issues that they're running into in their job. And you want to spend time with them unpacking those issues and figuring out ways to solve those problems. I, I think that sometimes, one-on-ones or other meetings, they just get tactical, but it doesn't really get into the big issues. And we don't try to work together to solve them. I think that if you have someone who's actively not doing what you both agreed on doing, or you know clearly just doesn't have the skill set to do what is required to fix something, then obviously that's harder. But in almost all cases, that's not true, right? In almost all cases, it's, it's just spending the time together to work on the problem and work it out together and then go take action against it.
1: That's good advice. Uh, there's a story that I saw um, in, in doing some research for this uh, interview, uh, a Bain VC, Scott Friend, who gave you some advice along the way. Uh, can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, so uh, I, I absolutely love Scott Friend. Uh, he's a partner at Bing Capital Ventures and was on the board of my last company, uh, was on the board of this company. I've had a couple of different articles to Scott, but I'm, I'm guessing the one you might be alluding to is when we were early on in this company, we were using text messaging for communication both inside of a company, so between a company and their employees, as well as potentially externally. We went in and pitched this concept to Big Capital. I think that sometimes going there, you could go in the wrong direction when people aren't willing to give critical feedback. And I think what they, what Scott did really well was that he managed to give critical feedback without, like, you know, making us shut down or whatever. You know, basically told us, "Hey guys, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're, you got it. Like, I, I don't, I don't think you're there yet on this concept." You know, when you've got a second time entrepreneur and they can get term sheets from whoever and whatever, I think that takes a lot of courage to say. And he was 100% right. It's it's hard to give that critical feedback. But I think as, a, as an entrepreneur, and I guess just in general, if you can train yourself to get critical feedback and appreciate it for the gift that it is, rather than defaulting to the emotional response or or the immediate Response of why that person is wrong and teaching them not to give you that feedback again. It's very hard to do. I I haven't nailed it, but this is one of the the central sort of points of my my leadership coach. This guy Matt Mochari, um, who's fantastic, and I and I think he nails it here, which is just being able to to get that feedback, listen to it, accept it, dig into it, and not have the all too common defensive posture in responding. So as we end up
1: uh, uh, our podcast here, I do this uh, two-minute drill at the end of the show. I'll ask you uh, seven questions, one or two-word uh, answers that come to your mind, no no thought necessary, okay? All right, first one, a brand that you admire or that inspires you? Um, Chrome. Favorite app on your phone? Google Maps. The last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Oh, well.
0: I love a lot of e-commerce companies on our site, but the last one was um, a company that makes inflatable like pool items, but I can't remember the name right now.
1: Okay, no problem. Something that you're not good at, but wish that you were? The piano. Usually we get singing, so that's that's in the, the musical genre. Uh, a charitable organization that you're passionate about? French Bulldog Rescue Network. Okay, that's a niche <laughs> niche charity. Got it. If you had one superpower, what would it be?
0: Everlasting life.
1: And the last one, other than family, what's your most prized possession?
0: My friends.
1: (laughs) Okay. Brian,
0: this was great. Um,
1: Where can people reach out to you on social media if they have an interest?
0: On Twitter, uh, at Brian C. Long.
1: Great. Well, look, best of luck to you um, and your family. You have a newborn, uh, I believe uh, you mentioned. So congratulations on that and and best of luck with your continued success at uh, Attentive.
0: Hey, Mark, thank you very much for having me today and uh, have a fantastic rest of your day.
1: That's it. Today's game ball goes to Brian Long for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, Brian spoke about fundraising and how you simply have to love it. It's a lot of work and could be considered that you're taking time away from running the business, but in fact, it's the fuel for the business. He also described how he continued to take meetings even though he had thought he had a good deal. You never know how that next meeting can turn out, so meet as many people as possible. Number two, I loved Brian's comment that there will always be a market for the best product. Sure, there'll be a market for a value product, but the best, there's always room for that one, and that's what Attentive is striving to be. And number three, Brian had a number of good call-outs about setting goals and managing your workforce. He writes himself an email every six months and lays out his goals. He also spoke about how he operates his leadership as a coach. Sit with your team, understand their challenges they face in getting their jobs done, and help them break down those challenges. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at detailsinteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details.